All right, let's pray as we uh, get ready to dive into God's Word together. Father, I just want to begin by thanking you um, just for all, all that you're doing, and thank you for being involved in, in this church family, and Lord, for raising up someone like Abby to go uh, to the Philippines, just be a blessing to um, our missionary partners there, and for all you did in her life. Um, Lord, we just continue to pray that the gospel will uh, spread uh, throughout that region. Uh, you'll help Jonathan as he continues to translate uh, your word into their language. And uh, God, you just make many disciples there. Lord, help us now hear what you would say to us and um, be pleased to accomplish your good work in us. Uh, Lord, we, we don't deserve that, but you are gracious and uh, you, um, you want to draw us near to you. So we pray that you would do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So for the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about uh, the purpose of church. And let me just tell you what I have in mind for that. Um, I suspect that many of us are about to get busier. I don't know what kind of summer you've had, if it's been pretty laid back or maybe it's been pretty hectic, but I know that when fall rolls around or leaps out at you like it seems to be doing, um, many of us tend to get busier because, of course, the school year, new school year starts up, and uh, things around here get busier. We'll be uh, kicking off our new year of the zone, our middle school outreach. I just talked about new small groups. Lots of things get going in the fall. It just seemed to me that this would be a good time to stop and think, okay, if we're going to get busy, what, what should we be busy doing? What should we be busy about? Because we don't want to confuse being busy with being effective. Those are two different things, right? I mean, you could take a stick and walk up to a hornet's nest and whack it, and you'll create a lot of busyness. <laughs> but it won't be good. And so if we're going to be busy, or let's, let's use a better word. Let's use the word active, okay? Busy has some negative baggage with it. If we're going to be active, if, if we as a church are going to be active, what are we supposed to be actively doing? What are we to be active about? There are a lot of different ideas out there about what church should be doing. Um, but sometimes those ideas don't necessarily come from God's Word. They come mostly from our own personal experiences, our own traditions, uh, you know, there are a number of people think, well, Sunday worship should happen at 11 a.m., but the Bible doesn't say anything about that, and it doesn't say anything about children's church or Sunday school or men's Bible studies or women's Bible studies or youth group or midweek meetings or prayer meetings or uh, pulpits or pews or pianos. Oftentimes, the main reason we think churches should do a certain thing in a certain way is just because that's what we're used to, or that's what we like. But we want to spend a few days looking at what, or a few weeks, looking at what God says He wants His church to be doing, because the church is His idea. You know, Jesus said, I will build my church. He wasn't talking about a building, he was talking about a group of people, people who respond 
to his gracious invitation to trust him, to receive life from him, to follow him. And these people he calls his church. They're his church. And he gets to build his church any way he wants. And so if we're going to do church, we should do it his way. So which way is his way? Which way is his way? Well, he has given us instructions. And as we read through his instructions that he has given to churches, we find that certain priorities come up again and again and again. And so we're going to look at a particular passage that emphasizes three priorities in particular. And by God's grace, if he wills, we're going to just look at those and, and each week think them through, take some time to really uh, consider those priorities. So the passage I'm talking about is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. If you have a Bible and you want to open it up there, uh, Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. And I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and the words will come up on the screen. And uh, there's also a note sheet in your folder. I would encourage you to take that out and jot down some notes. So Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, so he is writing to fellow members of God's family, fellow believers in Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, I'll explain that in a minute, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. So what this is saying is, because Jesus died for us and enabled us to enter into the very presence of God, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, that's Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near, talking about the day of Christ's return, the day of judgment that's coming. All right, I want to start with the first priority we see in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. That is the very heart of what we call worship. Drawing near to God. So, Whatever else happens when we gather together like this for the express purpose of worship, whatever else happens, the crucial thing is to draw near to God. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we can talk about being near somebody or being close to somebody in more than one sense. Okay, so if I happen to be standing right next to my wife, and I say I'm close to my wife... Well, it's because I'm standing right next to her. So I'm talking about close in a um, locational sense. 
But let's say she's not anywhere around, and I'm standing there, and I'm talking about her, and I say, you know, Karen and I are really close. Well, I mean something different, don't I? There I'm talking about nearness being close in a relational sense, and that's what, that's what this is all about. That's what it means to, to draw near to God. It's not talking about getting near God in sense of location. It's talking about uh, getting near in relation. God is everywhere in a locational sense. Jeremiah 23, God asks this question of, to his people. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? People kind of have that idea. If I'm in the land of Israel, God's there. If I'm not in the land of Israel, if I'm outside of the promised land, it's like God's not really there. And maybe sometimes people think like that. Well, God's in church, but he's not out there somewhere. And God says, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a God nearby, declares the Lord. Uh, uh, can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So we're always near God in the sense of location. But this is talking about drawing near to God in the sense of relationship. And really, this is the big story of the Bible. All of the parts and pieces, all of the little stories come together in this big story to explain all that God has done in history to draw us near to himself relationally. So if you go back to the very beginning, you see that God creates humanity in his image, male and female, to be near him. The Bible describes the Garden of Eden as this place where the first man and the first woman walked with God, just like friends walked with each other. And then the great disaster happened. And they rebelled against God. They defied God. And so they were cast out of the garden. And now, instead of nearness, there is this huge distance between humanity and God. And again, it's not a physical distance. It's a relational distance. And there's nothing you and I can do to fix it. And... You know, so many people sense this. They sense something's wrong. There's this distance. There's, there's this sense of wrongness. This is why there is so much wrong with our world. Everything that's wrong ultimately traces back to this. This disconnection, this distance from God. But God has had a plan all along. From the beginning, actually before the beginning. God had a plan centered around the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And the rest of the Bible describes God working out this plan to overcome our sin, our rebellion, to overcome the distance and draw us near, to do what we can't do. So all of the Old Testament promises and you know, the choosing of Abraham and his descendants and, and then, you know, rescuing them from slavery in Egypt, bringing them into the promised land uh, through Moses, giving them the Torah, his law, the temple, the sacrifices, the priesthood, the prophecies, the, the kingship and the, the prophecies of a coming 
ultimate king. All of these things prepared the way for the fulfillment of God's plan in Jesus coming to us and dying for us and rising from the dead also we can draw near to God. And that's what it's talking about here in verse 19 when it talks about us having confidence to enter the holy places. See, that's temple language. That's, that's talking about you, using the temple as a picture of, of actually drawing near into the very presence of God, which only the, whole, the high priest could only go once a year after the proper sacrifices. And yet now it's saying that because Jesus has shed his blood, because he's died for us, we are able to enter into the very presence of God with confidence. It is amazing. Absolutely amazing. Jesus did all this so we could draw near. So we could draw near. Relational nearness. Isn't that what you want with people you love? Isn't that what we want? To be close, relationally? You know, the people we love, we want to we be around them. We want to hang out with them. It's pretty easy to tell who your friends are. They're the people you hang out with. And Jesus made it possible for us. I almost hesitate to say it because it almost will make it sound kind of trivial, but don't take it that way. This is an awesome thing. Jesus made it possible for us to be friends with God, to be near him relationally. So when you get to the end of the Bible, you get to the end of the story, you read this. Now the dwelling of God is with men, with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Nearness. The earth will be made new. The garden will be restored better than ever, and we will walk with God. Worship is drawing near God, drawing near to God. That's what God wants for us. And see, that's why worship is the ultimate priority of the church, the ultimate priority, because we are going to be drawing near to God in worship forever, forever. And by the way, that doesn't mean we're not going to do anything but besides stand around and sing as if heaven is just going to be this eternal church service. Okay? It's not. There are going to be so many other things that we do. We will sing. We will sing gloriously. But we will, we will experience the glory of God and enjoy His glory and celebrate His glory in many ways. And you know what? That's what you long for. It's what you long for, whether you realize it or not. God has created within us, every one of us, a thirst for greatness. That's why people drive to Yellowstone or, or go to uh, Yosemite or go to the Alps or go and that's why people want to do great things, see great things. You know, they want to see the Seahawks win. <laughs> they want to see greatness. And when you see something great, you go, yeah. You just, you have a thirst for that. 
And yet all that other stuff is just, just microscopic reflections of God's greatness. That's what we're really longing for. To celebrate true greatness. To bask in His glory. That's what we were created for. And the other things that we do as church, you know, most of those are going to come to an end someday, but worship won't. Worship won't. It's our ultimate priority. So this is a huge priority for us. This is a huge responsibility. How do we do it? How do we draw near to God? And how do we help others draw near to God? Now, as soon as you ask that question, you are, you are raising the need for strategy, okay? And that's the other thing we're going to be talking about for a few weeks. Not only these priorities that God has for us, but the strategies we need to accomplish those priorities. So in order for us to accomplish the priority of worship, we need some kind of strategy. And maybe that sounds weird to you. Strategy? What do we need a strategy for? Why do we need a strategy to worship? Why don't we just worship? Let's just do it. Okay. When? Where? How long? What are we going to do? How are we going to do that? See, as soon as you start actually answering those questions, you're, you're making strategy. You're developing a plan. That just strategy just means a plan, and we've got to have a plan. And here's the thing. God expects us to make plans for accomplishing his priorities. He does. And I know that bothers you know, some of you super spontaneous types. You know, you want everything to be spontaneous. You just love spontaneity when everything's spontaneous because, man, that just feels so real, so authentic to be spontaneous. And you think planning is just a drag, and it is sometimes. But, but planning in and of itself is a good thing, and we actually see it right here. Check out the wording of verse 24. It says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. All right, consider. What does that mean? It means to think carefully. This is telling us to do some careful thinking about how to accomplish the good thing God wants us to do, the things that he says are important. Well, what is that? That's a plan. That's a plan. And we all have plans. Some of them are good, some of them aren't so good. What makes a good plan? Well, we can see the qualities of a good plan, of a good strategy right here. Now, these, are gonna, these qualities would apply to everything we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, but we'll try to apply it specifically to this drawing near God and worship thing. But here are the qualities of a good strategy. First, a good strategy aims at a biblical target. A biblical target. Verse 24, the target is stirring one another up to love and good deeds, love and good works. Back in verse 22, the target is helping one another draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Now, I say help each other very deliberately because worship is normally a group experience, okay? And I know some people say, yeah, I love to get out in the woods and just worship God, just, just me and God out there worshiping. All right, that's, that's fine, but you need to understand that's not normal. I don't mean it's weird. I mean, 
the normal the normal way we worship God is together as a group. Look, let us draw near. It says in verse 22, let us, all of us, we do it together. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you, plural, richly, teaching and admonishing one another. You really can't do that out in the woods by yourself. You can't teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's a group thing. But the point I'm trying to make here is that a good strategy gets its goals, gets its targets from what God says is important. Okay, so it's got a biblical target. Two, a good strategy is intentional. Intentional. Let us consider means planning on purpose. This is purposeful. I've said this before, but it's worth repeating. If, if living the way Jesus wants us to live just came automatically to us, the Bible would be a much, much shorter book, okay? It doesn't come automatically to us. And the reason all these instructions are in here is because we need to intentionally apply them to a life. And not just hear it and say, oh yeah, I agree with that. But to say, okay, now how do I actually live that? And if you think about it, very few good things happen in our lives by accident. Have you noticed that? You don't go to school by accident. You don't do your homework by accident. I wish. <laughs> um, you don't go to your job by accident. You don't get married by accident. You don't get connected to a church family. You don't... You don't give generously to God's work by accident. You have to choose to do these things. You have to plan. You have to be intentional about them. And if we're going to do the things God wants us to do, we need to be intentional. Okay? So a good strategy is intentional. Third, a good strategy is practical. Practical. Let us consider how. Good strategy answers the question how. How are we going to stir one another up to love and good deeds? How are we going to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering? How are we going to draw near to God and, and help others draw near to God? See, it's not enough just to know what the goal is. And really, it's not enough just to pray about it. Now, prayer is critical, but it's not enough. God expects us to make plans and to get practical in our planning. How are we going to do it? And then fourth, fourth, a good strategy deals with the real needs of real people. Let us consider how to stir up one another. So when we consider one another, we're not, we're not thinking about theoretical people. We're not thinking about ideal people. We're not thinking about pretend people. We're thinking about actual people. People that we can see, people that we can talk to, people that we can touch, people that we can know. Flesh and blood people with real needs and real problems. And these people need to draw near 
to the real God. So look around. I mean, really, do it. Look, look around. See, these are real people. And you know what these people need? They need to draw near to God. They need to draw near to God. You need to draw near to God. I need to draw near to God. We've got to understand this. Worship is not an optional extra in life. It's not an optional extra. It's essential to life. It's ultimately what life is for. Jesus said that the Father is seeking those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so one of our main responsibilities as a church is to help real people do this. So what is our strategy for drawing near to God and helping others draw near to God? All right, now, there's two different ways you can talk about this. One way would be to think about our worship strategy as a whole, as a church body. And we do have one. That's why we're all here right now. Uh, that's, you know, the elders, ministry leaders of the church have made some strategic decisions about helping people, inviting people to draw near to God uh, by gathering together in a large group like this and singing Christ-centered songs and proclaiming the Word of God and praying and so on. Okay, but there's a very, another way you can think about this, and that is to consider your strategy as an individual for drawing near to God. What's your plan? What's my plan for drawing near to God and helping others draw near to God? And if you say to yourself, what are you talking about? What's my plan? What do I need a plan for? I'm not a worship leader. It's not my responsibility. Oh, but it is. It really is. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then it is your responsibility to draw near to God and to help others draw near to God when we gather for worship. See, the, the verse does not say, let all the worship leaders draw near to God, does it? Who does it say should draw near to God? Us, all of us. And do you realize... When you come here on Sunday morning, you have a plan. You have a plan. Whether you've thought about it, whether you've you know, been careful in thinking about it, whether you're conscious of it or not, you have a plan. And your plan may include sitting in your favorite place. Or maybe your plan is uh, hoping that the music team does a song you like. Or hoping that the preacher won't go too long. Or... Uh, you know, maybe you're planning to pray or not pray. Maybe you're planning to give or not give. Maybe you're planning to sing or not sing. You have a plan. The question is, is it a good plan? Is it a good plan? Does your plan aim at the biblical target of drawing near to God? That when you get here on Sunday morning, and even before you get here, that's your target. Draw near to God, help others draw near to God. Because that's what this is all for. But in order for you to hit that target consistently as a regular part of your life, you need to be intentional about it. Okay? 
You've got to intend to draw near to God. You've got to intend to help others draw near to God. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? You've got to get practical. So, are you going to get here early enough to find a seat? Are you going to, are you going to pray before you get here? Maybe Saturday night, first thing Sunday morning, on your way here, when you arrive, are you going to pray that God will do what God alone can do and work in our hearts and draw us near? You're going to pray for the worship team. You're going to pray for the speaker. You're going to pray for your fellow worshipers. You're going to decide in advance to sing to God with all of your heart, whether you like the music or not, because it's not about you, and God deserves your enthusiastic praise. You're going to ask God to help you be an example of authentic worship. See, a good strategy deals with the real needs of real people around you. What do those people around you need? What do they need to draw near to God? Well, they need to feel welcome, especially if they're new. I I remember uh, a couple times I've been on vacation and sabbatical and things like that, and so I've gone and, you know, visited other churches. And And I can see it when I come walking up, and somebody looks at me, and I can see the look in their eyes. I don't know this guy. And then one of two things happens. They say, I don't know this guy, so I need to go talk to somebody I know. Or they say, hey, I don't know this guy. I need to meet this guy. We do the same thing. You see somebody you don't know? They need to feel welcome. They need to feel comfortable. They need to not worry what other people are thinking about them. Um, They need not to be distracted. I, wasn't sure, I probably shouldn't even say this because as soon as I say it, somebody's cell phone's going to go off and then everybody's going to go, you know. But thinking through things like that, you know, if you always have to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle of the sermon, you know, maybe you ought to go before or something. Um, but really, I think the biggest thing that we can do to help other people worship the biggest thing you can do to help others around you worship is for you to worship. Is for you to show them what worship looks like. I'm not talking about putting on a show. I'm not talking about performing. I'm just talking about authentically drawing near to God and expressing your response to Him. Worshiping God authentically with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. Authentic worship is a powerful witness that Jesus is real. And here's the thing, if we will all do that, if we will all do that, if we will come together intentionally planning to draw near to God by entering into the purpose of this gathering, by by singing with enthusiasm regardless of the songs, by listening with intensity regardless of the speaker, by praying with passion regardless of what else is going on, that is going to have a far greater impact on our lives and the lives of this community, far greater than what our official church strategy happens to be. It'll make a much bigger difference. So what's your plan? What's your plan? That's the last thing on your note sheet there. 
And I thought it would be good just to put it there to remind us all to think about it. Think about what's your plan. Think it through. What are you going to do to help yourself, to help others draw near to God? It is such an awesome privilege. It is such an awesome responsibility. And I will admit, it's one I take for granted. And I don't want to take it for granted. And I don't want any of us to take it for granted. What an incredible thing that the God of reality, the God who made heaven and earth, would have, at the cost of the life of his son, made a way for us to draw near. What's your plan? What's your plan? Let's pray. Father, Sometimes it just feels presumptuous. Who do we think we are to be able to come in your presence? And yet, we are coming because you've told us to come. You've told us to come with confidence. You've told us to come boldly. And it's because of Jesus that we're going to come boldly. Because he's washed us. He's purified us. He's... He's fit us to be in your presence. And God, that's just so awesome. I know I don't fully grasp it. Probably nobody does. But will you be at work in us? Will you give us a taste more and more of what it means to draw near to you? Will you help us put aside all of our preconceived notions and preferences and and just draw near to you? We need you to draw us. And Lord, I just pray if there's anybody here who hasn't yet responded to your gracious invitation to draw near through Jesus, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would say yes, that they would repent, that they would put their hope in you, and that you would draw them near. God, help us be that kind of people, a church that glorifies you, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.